Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And we're back for another episode of On the Record with Tiffany. And I have my special guest, uh, Dr. Williams. Um, Hello. Luana James Clausen and Deborah Jarman. So my panel of ladies today, we're going to discuss what's going on with our new climate in our country. What, what do you see as where we go from here. I'm going to ask you first, Luana, with, uh, in terms of mm. economics, because we see the numbers going up with, with uh, COVID-19. And we also know, you know, this has had a, a huge uh, negative impact on everyone economically, but especially in, in uh, black and brown uh, neighborhoods. We've, we've seen a, a large number of jobs and businesses close. So can you speak Absolutely. to that? Yeah, I mean, yesterday, I think, is when the Federal uh, uh, Reserve, the chairman came out, Jerome Powell, and just said, you know, we're not going to be going back to normal. That's right. You know, economically speaking, we will not be going back to normal, especially for, you know, those of us who, uh, you know, black and brown business owners, it, we're definitely not going to go back to normal. You know, we talked a little bit last time about uh, Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs has been doing some fantastic research uh, around, you know, what this global pandemic, this financial crisis uh, has meant for uh, black and brown communities. And what they found for black women entrepreneurs uh, specifically was that we only get 47 percent of a dollar in comparison to white wow. men. So, you know, you look around and... uh and, and, you know, you look at the, the she session, the lasting impacts of the she session. And we know with black women, especially when we go into business and we do well for ourselves, mm -hmm. that money goes back into our communities. The life cycle mm -hmm. of, the, of those dollars uh, is, is, is tremendous. So, um, you know, it's for me, uh, what it's meant for me as a business owner is to make sure that I invest uh, a little bit more intentionally into um, you know, things like giving back, you know, giving food and, and, and giving clothing and, give, and making sure that people have shelter and um, those sorts of things. That's how my money's been spent um, lately, because that's really where the, the true uh, impact has to be made. There's a lot of um, uh, recovery that will not be seen uh, for our black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. When we're looking at this, when we're looking at this pandemic, Dr. Williams, you know, what are you seeing as a as a physician uh, mm -hmm. on the front lines dealing with this? Well, you know, just just briefly, I wanted to kind of touch on what what, what Luana was saying. I'm, I'm also a business owner, so I invest in real estate. And absolutely, I think the thing that's been so helpful for my rental properties is making sure that I access the cities. Um, there's there's a lot of programs that people don't know about. Most of my properties are on the east side, west side, affecting, you know, disproportionately black and brown people and using the city's resources to really make sure that, that they know that, that they're supported and that there's help out there. Um, but I digress. Medically speaking, um, and I'm sorry, Tiffany, your question was from a medical perspective. Yes. What, well, what are you what are you seeing? Because uh, tell tell our audience a little bit about what what you've been uh, working with. I thought you were working with uh, COVID-19 and, and. Um... So I, I started off an effort of doing testing, community-based testing uh, with something called COVID-SA. Um, to be honest, I had a kind of a bad accident in May. And so I haven't continued with that testing, but what I'm seeing in the communities is that the testing started off in, in areas in which were more, more fluent. Um, and so point being is that that now I think the bigger problem and we talked about this a little bit this morning Tiffany is that the testing and the resources I think aren't going to the communities that are they're being most affected um, and, and it's a problem mm -hmm. and I wish I had a solution for it but it's definitely a problem and kind of you know what you were saying earlier distrust of the system I'm sure that's probably playing a role in it but really the testing is occurring in places um, 
you know, higher socioeconomic places and right. kind of these other communities are being ignored. It's it is disheartening when when you think about that, because the testing is occurring in, in higher socioeconomic communities, while at the same time, the people that are being hit the hardest are in the lower socioeconomic communities. I mean, once again, the poor, we have 140 million poor people in this country, and they are the last to be served when in in a situation like this, they really need to be the first to be served because they are the most disadvantaged. They are the most at risk. Uh, that the poor population, we're we're talking about a prevalence of one in three would have some form of diabetes, have have diabetes and don't know that they have it. One in three have some stage of kidney disease and don't know that they have it. I mean, they they have these in, incredibly high numbers of uh, of pre, a high prevalence to comorbidities that are are devastating. One of them would be devastating. But but often people have diabetes and hypertension. They have multiple. And and we're not seeing anything. We're seeing them vulnerable to COVID-19 and to an sundry of other things, too. No, and that's true, Tiffany. I think the bigger problem that people don't understand is that ultimately with healthcare, ultimately everybody's going to have to pay for that because when they enter mm-hmm. the system in the emergency room, and that's where I'm working now. I work nights in the emergency room. When they enter the system, they have to be cared for. And I think that there is an, a, a kind of misunderstanding in the general population of, um, you know, or general kind of lack of willingness to help everybody. But at the end of the day, those everybody's going to have to be served. It's just a question at which at which point are they going to enter the healthcare system? I personally would rather them not enter the healthcare system when they're on death's door and need to be intubated and, and have to be mm-hmm. sent out. And so the best place for them to enter it is, you know, early detections for testing or even better yet, like like we're discussing this morning, Tiffany, how about just early identification? You know, exactly. they have this comorbidity. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be more at risk? Who do we need to focus our resources on? And that's something that that, that I, I, I really honestly don't see a lot. It's not happening. Well, we at Texas Kidney Foundation, you know, I wear another hat during the day. <laughs> <laughs> that's with TKF. Uh, that's exactly what we're doing is early identification of, of chronic kidney disease. And we we uh, have 10,000 tests that we are bringing to the San Antonio area from a company called Healthy IO that we can actually mail out to uh, participants. And um, they can take the test at home, upload the results on their phone using an, an app that they simply download and uh, never come into contact with anyone and possibly, you know, possibly expose themselves to COVID-19, but at the same time identify whether or not they have uh, chronic kidney disease. Um, And then we have drive-up testing or you can drive up and uh, we can do early identification. And then we also have, uh, we created a, a, um, a healthcare stopgap because we we know that people are coming out of the hospital, coming out of trying to deal with with a need for healthcare, but they they can't afford it. Sometimes they even have comor- have uh, co-payments that are just so high that they can't afford it. So we uh, came up with a thirty five biomarker tests that uh, test your kidney function, uh, general health. Uh, diabetes, uh, so that and and uh, triglycerides, so that you know where you are, and we do all of that, and you can see uh, one of our medical professionals for fifty dollars. So we we've we've thought through the process, and I think a lot of that is because our team, our our board, we have a wonderful board, very active, uh, um, collaborative board that. Uh, thought about from beginning to end, what does this look like? What is a full continuum of care? There has to be a continuum of care for people. You can't just test somebody, tell them they have a chronic illness and, and uh, you know, raise up out and that's it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we, we're, we're doing that. And, and with, with uh, the, with our, 
$50 test, that one is through um, Clinical Pathology Laboratories, another group that we've partnered with. And they have 170 locations across the state of Texas. So we're able to test people in every little nook and cranny of our state so that we know that uh, you at least have an option. We can at least offer an option. And and uh, because nobody's coming to rescue us, but but uh, we can rescue each other. Luckily, we're at a stage in this in this world in this life as as uh, Americans that we, as African Americans that that uh, we have enough of an infrastructure that we can we can step out and start rescuing each other. And to you know just mm-hmm. just to kind of dovetail with that, I, I think it's so important what you're saying about um, you know it's so cool that you're you're offering this because I think. People oftentimes suffer under the illusion that they're, you know, I'm healthy. If I get COVID, you know, what's a big deal? Fatality, you know, 0.4%. But the fact is, is that if you fall into that category of the, having those comorbidities, diabetes, a high blood pressure, you know, I was relating to Tiffany earlier this morning. I had a patient that, that had, you know, that was healthy, but you just had a look at this individual and you could tell that there was multiple undiagnosed comorbidities. I think that, that what you're offering to me is so awesome because, especially in San Antonio, you see it all the time. People are like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I, I look healthy when really it's just a question of, I mean, not to be mean, you haven't been to the doctor, like it hasn't been identified yet. And that's a little bit different than actually being healthy. So, um, so yeah, I think it's great that you're offering that to me because it, it, it really would change, I think the way in people kind of assess what is the risk of coronavirus because they're thinking, oh, I'm 30, you know, what's the big deal, but you're 30 with diabetes and high blood pressure and it's kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Every time uh, we talk about this and talk about kidney disease, uh, health care in general, um, and look at our community, there's, there are so many comorbidities that are, are happening in our community, yet, you know, the, the at general attitude is, is kind of nonchalant about it. Uh, like, you know, you're going to die from something, uh, so... How do we beat that? I mean, it's a hard question, right? Because I feel like, number one, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I've seen patients who've said that from physicians, it's clearly been communicated, oh, you're Black, you're Hispanic. This is just kind of one of those things that happens to us. And I think that's the first thing is is the attitude of, of illness, right? Like mm-hmm. that there's a certain inevitability. You know, my mom has diabetes. My dad has diabetes. That's just what happens. I think that's probably the, the first major thing is for us to understand, you know, we did not inherit a, a legacy of, 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 of illness, right? Like there's, you have, there's genetics, of course, there's genetics, but then the things that we do um, are so incredibly powerful. And so I think really just making sure that that message of empowerment is out there that, you know, yes, your uncle has this, yes, your grandfather has this, but um, you don't have to accept that. There's things that you mm-hmm. can do. You can change how you eat. You can change, you know, your, your overall lifestyle. Um, I think that 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 would be the thing. And and, you know, I was telling Tiffany and Miss Omawali knows this. My life has taken a bit of a detour right now. But health and wellness is really what I think I've been put on this earth to do. And that is the one thing that that I that I wish for our community is that we understand that that, yeah, we don't have to accept these illnesses. You know, you're you're exactly right, because health and wellness, like I think prevention is the way of mitigating all of these diseases that we're dealing with, diabetes, hypertension. We have to do preventative measures, not not more therapeutics. People don't need more pills. They they actually, I mean, they may in some some areas, but but a lot of things can be prevented with what you're putting in your mouth and and what's going on with with uh your body moving. Because, you know, like I, I told you uh, before, I'm, you know, I 10 years ago, I weighed 340 pounds. I weighed 340 See? pounds. And, and I was, you know, I looked like a little stuffed pepper, <laughs> a, a, a cute stuffed pepper, but a stuffed pepper. <laughs> and I thought, and I was just like many of our folks, I thought, you know, big is beautiful. I'm still cute, you know. 
I was I had all the black woman confidence that that you know I I've always had, <laughs> but I didn't need to have it in that sense. <laughs> I needed to to uh, have something. I, I needed to understand my health and uh, and the importance of maintaining it, and and I didn't. Nobody was was explaining that uh, to me. I actually had to to uh, take a stand for myself and make a difference for myself. Deborah Jarman, uh, the executive director of uh, SACAM. Uh, Deborah, can you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, SACAM and then talk to us about the economic impact of, of the pandemic and what we see today and the response to it? Tiffany. SACAM is the San Antonio African American Community Archives and Museum. We are your primary source for African American history and research for the San Antonio region. Our website is rich with research papers and digital exhibits and mm-hmm. virtual discussions. And we're just a call away. So if there's something on there that if there is uh, something that you feel is missing or we have not included yet, just give us a call. Our archive will be alive on the website in about two weeks. So we're excited about that. So that's the thing. <laughs> and uh, you see LJ, who was our fearless leader, chairman of the board, and <laughs> you're cheering us. And she set this organization up along with uh, the founders and the hardworking uh, board that started off in, in operation mode. And all of the people that really believe there was a place for uh, for African-American history here in San Antonio really worked hard to make it happen. So thank you, LJ, and to all of the uh, hard workers here at Sacan. So what I wanted to just piggyback on what um, LJ said at the onset about the economic impact of COVID-19. But what I want to remind everyone is that um, yes, it looks bleak, but this is not the first time it has looked like this in this country, and especially for African Americans. So because we know our history, we know that there's hope. When you look at the Harlem Renaissance, right, it started in 1918, and it lasted through the 1930s. That is right smack dab at the beginning of the food pandemic. That's you look right. at Black Wall Street. It was burned to the ground May 29th, I believe it was, of 1921, which means it had to have been there to make an impact, to be Mm -hmm. threatening, uh, again, during the flu pandemic. What has made African Americans such a resilient people is that, one, we depend on each other to be successful, and that can't stop. We have so many resources that we can provide, just like Mm -hmm. Yonge said at the beginning. As a business owner, she can provide opportunities for employment. She can can provide resources for food and things like that. That is what we have historically done, and that is what we have to keep doing. COVID-19 has given us an opportunity to be more resourceful and That is in our wheelhouse. When I look at, okay, people aren't necessarily eating in restaurants anymore or as much. But look at how many food trucks are up and running. And I'm seeing new African-American food trucks popping up all over the place. I was going down uh, FM 78, and right at FM 78 and Willow Lake Parkway on Saturday, there was a pop-up like flea market with the barbecue food <laughs> and everything right there on the corner and it's drive through and I'm like that's my people <laughs> <laughs> so and of course the food truck is licensed and it, it has been there for a year but now there are all these ten by ten you know casinos and you can drive through and holler at them and say hey give me that t-shirt I'm a kid that is what we do. We can survive and survive excellently. Is it easy? No. Mm-mm. But we have over 400 years of resilience, right? Yeah. So I just want to remind us that even though things may be bleak, 
we have hope because historically we have survived. Okay, I'm good. I'm now. <laughs> no, but you're you're so right because I I was reading like I, I was doing the same thing like looking at at uh, history like what happened in the last uh, pandemic what happened in the 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 last uh, flu uh, the the uh, uh, Spanish flu of of uh, uh, the early nineteenth uh, century the early twentieth century and that's exactly what we what we saw is that there was uh, um, the same uh, racial uprising. There was there were race riots happening, uh, all, all while the same while a pandemic was was occurring, and uh, we managed to make it through that, and we're going to make it through this, and e- even better than than uh, they did back then because we have real leadership now and we have a, a footing and some degree of of uh change that has occurred uh from then to now not to mention the multitude of texas freedom colonies mm-hmm. and we could go on and on and on we have um survived tremendously again and I'm not at all making light of the situation. We have work to do. Oh, we do. But, mm-hmm. uh, we can rise like cream is depending on each other. We've got That's right. to do it. That's right. You know, one of my reasons for calling you guys up uh, this weekend was like, I was sitting there thinking, uh, one, of, one of my favorite parts of history is uh, the black intelligentsia that we had this incredible network of people who uh, were thoughtful in black intellectuals who who uh, really did uh, help shape what we were going to do as a people and fought valiantly uh, to 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 execute around the goals and objectives of of uh, the black intelligentsia. And I thought, you know, I, I was talking to uh, uh, Dr. Dukes <laughs> and I was telling you about that, about that Dr. Williams. I was talking to him and uh, he was like, I missed that and we need to bring that back. And I said, okay, because he's always like putting me between him and, and a couple of my other board members that I really adore. They... I always have some little mission that they're like, hey, we should do this. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> and I go out and try to figure out how we're going to do it. And I <laughs> thought about, uh, you know, the first place to start is with black women and with uh, us. Because uh, as we stated earlier, who came in and uh, and basically saved, helped this election on on both sides of the of the fence? You saw uh, black women come in and and vote and vote thoughtfully about what would be best for our communities. You see that in how we conduct business. You see that in how we we comport ourselves. You know, often uh, I'm the only African-American woman in the room, and I know you all experience the same thing. We shouldn't even even have to say that in today's, uh, in, in this day and age. You would think that there would be a lot more of us at the table, but there aren't sometimes. And so when we walk in, we're, we're comporting ourselves for every black woman that will walk in that room after us <laughs> and every black male that's going to walk in the room after us. So I, you know, I thought about, I thought about that and thought, let me pick some ladies that I think are, <laughs> are amazing. And we will, <laughs> and we can talk about uh, the reality for our community in an accurate way and not a, you know, sometimes I hear uh, people talking about us as if, as if there's nothing redeeming in our community. Like we don't even have mm. a culture. 
when every culture in the world is influenced by our culture. Absolutely. Every I mean, you just made me think about, you made me think about Ida B. Wells, Barnett, right? Ida B. Wells with the pen was just a monster, right? She was just yep. extraordinary. <laughs> And you look at how she would dig into people. You know, she would dig white folks. If you're listening, <laughs> go and read Ida B. Wells by that. Uh, mm-hmm. She would dig in, you know, and she just kept it 100. She was like, listen, you know, <laughs> y'all did. want everything that we have. We have little to nothing, but you still want what we have, right? You still look at us and, you know, look upon us with envy. It was, it was just extraordinary what she had to say. But going to what you were talking about with the black intelligentsia, the first book that I wrote as a kid was about the talented tenth, and how pointed a conversation is that till this day, right? Because you it think is. about the black intelligentsia, that's exactly where we are. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit or We can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. Luana, tell our audience what what the talent attend is so they know. Because I know they don't. If if you have not read William Edward Bogatze's Boy, you must read him. All of his books. From the Souls of Black Folk uh, <laughs> read all of his books. They're all mm-hmm. just masterful. He in the United States, when you think about American history, we we actually recall him and celebrate him as the uh, first American sociologist mm-hmm. uh, of our of our nation, of our great nation. Regardless of color and and regardless really of you know scholarship, we regard him as our first sociologist. His, he was a brilliant thinker. And so the talented tenth was a, a basically of a, a um, I would call the theme more than a movement, right. uh, more of a theme regarding just how it is in that in you know in nature, when people are led, they are usually led by a minority. Uh, the majority does not you know end up you don't see democracies, uh, true democracies anywhere in the world. They're you know very hard to come by. Why? Because most people have other things that are keeping them from participating mm-hmm. uh, civically, right? So that means that you end up having this sort of uh, delegate or trustee or representative, um, you know, government or governing structure. And that is how you see this uh, concept, the theme of the talent to tenth emerge uh, out of understanding that the talent to tenth, then uh, they're talented because they are the ones who have to lead. Mm-hmm. They have to take on the responsibility of pushing the collective towards progress or towards, um, you know, their own personal welfare. And, you know, you look at the book at the time when this was espoused, the, the black intelligentsia was really divided between this sort of Booker T. Washington way of looking at, you know, how we should move forward now that we've gotten freedom you know, versus this more Du Boisian, you know, go and study uh, the soft sciences, you know, go and get your, you know, mm-hmm. travel abroad to Paris. Um, Develop intellectually. Develop in, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, that, so that conversation is still pointed till this day, because I think, let's be real, you look, you look at the, 
uh, the towns we live in, a lot of our kids, you know, I ain't going to call people's names out, but, you know, folks look at me like, you know, you one of them snobby, snooty, whatever, whatever, and we over here in the hood, and, you know, we don't live the same life. And I'm like, look, chick, I come from that, too. Exactly. Okay, don't judge me. You don't know me. <laughs> And, you okay. know, the thing about that is the thing about that is that there is space for for both of us. And who do they think is walking into those rooms and, and talking about policy and getting policy changed? It, it's not you, girl. It's us. <laughs> We're the ones who have to walk into those rooms and get policy changed and want to change policy because we came from the, the neighborhood seven streets over from the projects, which is where I came from. So, you know, uh, yes, uh, that road led me to boarding school in, in Europe and, and a lot of other things. But, uh, but the, who I became, who I am, who I am fundamentally uh, was developed right there at 1420 Fairway Street, you know, in, in my neighborhood. And I will never forget who I am, I won't forget my cool cups being sold out the window. I I don't forget my Buddha and balls and <laughs> and all the other fun things from my neighborhood and from from you know the the you know the little little community fun places that we had. You know we played t ball and all that other stuff. You know that made me. Uh, a team player and that made me resourceful about finding uh you know selling selling candy and and everything else so we could raise the money for our uniforms and you know just all of the stuff that makes you who you are so to to act like this end product has always been is not is not an accurate depiction. And to, you know, I, I really do feel that now this, you got me on my soapbox. I do feel that, uh, that division that has been sown between, uh, the poor middle class, upper middle class, etc., within our community, it didn't come from our community and we need to stamp right. it out. We need to stamp it out because it shouldn't be there. There should be no division between us. Like, I, um, I mean, I want to just go back really quickly when you were talking about uh, the assault on black women. And I want to say that it, um, it really stems from we are the cradle the birthplace, this is where the black herd comes from. It's from our womb. And so I don't think the assault is, um, it, it's by design. Mm -hmm. When you look at the mortality rates, and I think we talked about this last week, and I know Dr. Williams can weigh in, but when you look at the African-American um, pregnant woman mortality rate, yeah. Yeah. it's unbelievable. When you look at how when we as African-American women go to the doctor and how much the doctor believes what we're saying, are we, we're supposed to be able to withstand more pain? And that is junk science that we can withstand more pain. That is junk science that has been been uh, that is has been debunked. Uh, multiple times in multiple yeah. places, Harvard University debunked it. A, a group of scientists, uh, a group of of uh, students uh, debunked that and just said this is this is junk that African Americans can withstand more pain and that their EGFR should be uh, adjusted because there's extra muscle within uh, this group of people. I mean, just just nonsensical you know notions that have nothing that actually that have nothing to do with science but then have everything to do with with some of the the most um atrocious um crimes against humanity that have actually happened you know when you look at look back at some of the people who put that 
put these ideas into into play it's it's a disgusting uh, little little adventure into uh history <laughs> but anyway go go ahead deborah sorry i digress <laughs> that drives me crazy <laughs> wait we can't hear you i think i wanted to bring dr williams into that and what she may have uh to share about african-american women and our mortality rate and and we don't really know what the nature of the assault is but that is what i surmise yeah so absolutely deborah the the it really when you look at the data we really should be ashamed of ourselves for black females to to give birth it is a a, a deadly under, undertaking and the disparity in terms of of you know white people versus black people disparity is so incredibly huge that um there's actually a, i'm part of a group called mocha medicine we're literally looking for other black physicians to take care of these patients just because it's such a deadly undertaking and um mocha medicine yeah, I mean, yeah it's, a, it's a it's a facebook group but the point that i'm making is that it's sad that that, that a network has actually been created to say you know, I, I have this, I have this black friend in this city, can somebody take care of her? Just because the numbers, it's scary. And, and I, the irony of that, Deborah, is I didn't even know when I gave birth, I had no idea that these numbers were that bad. And I kind of even look back on my own experience. You know, I had a postpartum hemorrhage, I had preeclampsia, and I was just kind of, I left at 22 hours, which part was part of my desire. But point being is that even medically, my experience, even as a physician, I think was not what it should have been. And so, um, and I wish, I feel so bad. I've, I've read articles on it. I wish I could quote, but but I just remember thinking the disparity, it's a sad disparity. That's that's all I have to say about that, Deborah. It's, it's a sad disparity and, and it's real. Um, and I also too wanted to comment on what T Tiffany said earlier is that the irony of that, the irony of how we're treated in American society, and this might be a little bit of a digression, but the irony of how we're treated in American society is that in a lot of ways, we're often the savior, right? Like the election is a perfect example of that. Mobilizing, you know, like I became a deputy registrar so that I could register people to vote because I knew that this election was so important. 91% um, of black females voted for Biden. And I think really what's kind of, you know, what I think we're called on now to do is to say, okay, hey, we're, we were in there, we supported you. Now we really need to make sure that, that politically we're getting, um, our needs met, our our community needs met, um, and really taking people to task because our leaders are there to serve the people, right? And and we we spoke out and, and put our voice out there. And um, so yeah, like I said, maybe a point of digression, but I really um, was thinking about that that we really need to kind of hold uh, people to 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 really kind of represent the people that that voted for them. That's right. Because, you know, when you look at the when we're sitting here talking about socioeconomic impact, we've watched our neighborhoods and uh, inner cities across the United States deteriorate uh, year after year after year and across across various administrations, Democratic, Republican. And for us, uh, it is time to to hold feet to the fire and say, hey. Uh, we have expectations, you know, you want to come in you, to, to corporations. I think we should say, and, and it's something that I've, I've thought through, uh, quite a bit. If you're coming in and you're saying that you want to, uh, do this set of clinical trials because you want to, want to, uh, help a genetic allele or something that, that, uh, it's, is we're genetically predispositioned for. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis 
or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. Okay, you come in and you tell us this. Then, economically speaking, if you're coming into this community and, and utilizing us to figure out how to uh, essentially make a therapeutic or something of that nature to help us and sell to us, uh, then you should, there should be a, a direct tie to contributing back to that community. There, there should be a socioeconomic dividend that is paid to that community instead of we come in, we learn how to, we, we learn what's wrong, and then come back and sell, sell you millions of dollars worth of, <laughs> of therapeutics. <laughs> and, and you never see, and the community itself does not see a benefit from having contributed their own uh, um, health and well-being to, to helping others. I think there should be a, a tie to that. I don't know how that tie is made, but it should be. You, they, the very very corporations, et cetera, that are coming in and benefiting from our community should also contribute to it. To the I agree. I found a statistic. I just wanted to share this. For women over the age of 30, for, for Black and uh, American Indian women, the rate was four to five times higher. The 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 the, the postpartum, uh, rather uh, postpartum mortality rate was was four to five times higher. For Black women with at least a college degree, it was five times higher than their white counterparts. So basically, four to five times more likely to die, <laughs> which is just to me that's that's mind boggling. Like nobody can argue those types of statistics. Um, so kind of sad, but yeah. Like, sorry, what guys. Just we, I found that I just wanted to share it. Like what? You know, those are things that are incredibly important, and and black women should know that. Uh, I, when when uh, I remember when my sister in law was having was uh, pregnant with my my uh, nephew, they told her doctor told her that she was a geriatric uh, pregnancy, and that she, uh, you know, there were all kinds of uh, standards that she needed to, to keep. She didn't know that. She was like 33, 34. Um, yeah. And she, didn't, she had no idea that that, that was considered a, an old pregnancy uh, at 33 <laughs> or 34. You, and you don't think that, right? You know, but there's so much, like with, with us, with black women, that... Uh, I mean, that is what they said, Luana. Nobody can hear you. You're on mute. <laughs> I was like, well, dang. Um, I guess I'm going to have to be geriatric because... Uh... <laughs> that's what they... I'm just letting you know, girl. That's, that is what, what they're going to tell the you. I saw that on my birth, I was like, what? Excuse you. I'm only 30. Like, it's 32. I guess it's when you give birth. Like, if it's greater than 35, I guess it's yeah. 34. Very mm-hmm. depressing, guys, but facts. You're considered geriatric. Yeah. Yep. It, it. Yep. It is. It is not a blessing to hear that, but is the truth. Uh, but you know when we are, when we're looking when we're looking at this this pandemic and what's how we're going to walk out of this because we see the numbers going up. Uh, Doctor Williams, when when you look at these numbers as they're rising, uh, my last. Uh, guest in the segments before this. Uh, he's an epidemiologist and he was saying uh, this is going to get 
worse before it gets better. He expects it to get a lot better with once we have a singular vision and uh, word coming from from uh, the U.S. government and a plan. Absolutely. But how how do you what do you see? Yeah, I, I want to co-sign that. I think that that one of the biggest problems has been from the top. Um, people in position of power, people um, that are visible, they have to actually give um, support to the reality, right? So, and not to call anybody out, but if you're right. if you're sick and you're not wearing your mask, or if you're making fun of people not wearing a mask, or rather wearing a mask, then it's problematic. So. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, there's a Russian saying that the fish head, uh, it stinks, the fish stinks from its head. And so really the person on top, the person in charge has to be the person leading and giving a unified um, kind of uh, message. And unfortunately, I think really too, guys, that the harder thing with that is that the damage has already been done. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you look in countries where, where this thing is better controlled and it's because there was a unified message from the beginning that if you take these measures, then um, things will be controlled. And that was never, in my opinion, that was never anything that was pushed out. Um, and so I think that's that's the first thing that, I, that I'm that i looking for and hoping will come is that that, 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 that singular message. Um, mm-hmm. And Tiffany, I'm sorry, that was your question, right? Like, what do I see in the yes, future? Or yes. what do I... Mm-hmm. That was yeah, my so I question. Think that's the first thing. I think contact tracing is another thing that, that could get better. Um, in America, it's always hard, though, because everybody's afraid of Big Brother, right? So <laughs> contact tracing could be another big thing that I think could go uh, a long way in terms of, of addressing the pandemic. You know, uh, when what do you think, uh, Deborah, when, when you're looking at, at um how this is going to play out in history. Like when you look at, at, you know, how our response has been and the fact that this is, is affecting black and brown people in such disproportionate numbers. What does that say about us historically? Um, What I hope to gain from this from historic perspective, when you go back and you look at the flu pandemic, you don't see really how it affected our um, community. There's not much written history on that. So one of the things that we're doing at Tim and I hope we're doing across the globe, is really documenting these are the effects of, of this pandemic. This is how it affected my family. This is how it affected my community. And, and again, I have to go back to, and this is how we overcame. Even with the death of so many people, so many loved ones, there is still that resilience and we will overcome. But we need to talk about it and record it. And you're you're exactly right. So are you all t- doing testimonials? Are y'all are y'all? Uh, oh, that's wonderful. So you're archiving all of it. That is amazing. Okay, so org contact us so you can get your COVID nineteen story as a part of history. If you don't tell your story, you're leaving it up to someone else to tell it or for it to be completely left out of history. Wow, I love that. I love that. I'll be contacting you to tell our, our family story. <laughs> So, Luana, and and I'm going to end with you, Luana. You tell us what you see economically, because there's all this talk about why we we shouldn't uh, take more drastic measures uh, to save our population mm-hmm. healthcare-wise. And, and every time we hear that discussion, it is always centered around economics. We We yeah. need to keep businesses open. We need to keep keep uh money flowing you know my comment is who can spend money if they're all if 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 if, uh, a portion of your population is deceased like who are they you know like you you have to value human life i mean who's going to be in the economy if there's who's left in the economy if if you've got uh, a significant percentage of your workforce uh ill or suffering long-term effects from an illness. 
that's technology, right? That's so you look at the markets, Bitcoin, for example, today, another high. We're getting close to the 20 something thousand uh, dollar threshold that we had before. And I did get some units. I had to purchase some Bitcoin units. Just had to let everybody know. Do it on PayPal. But, you know, when you look at real quick, because I know we don't have a lot of time, but when you look at where we're going economically, what this means is that we have to force ourselves into emerging technologies. It's very simple. We have to find ways uh, to fill the gaps in terms of uh, delivering in the marketplace. So everything is going to be about emergency, emerging technologies. Everybody's investing heavily in tech. That's it. That's the path forward. All right. Well, ladies, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930amtheanswer. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation. And I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes, to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you.